Welcome back to the Red Dice Diaries RPG podcast with John and Hannah. Hi. We're cracking open the post bag once more to answer some of your lovely call-ins. And our first call-in is from Ray Otis of the Excellent Plundergrounds podcast. Take it away, Ray. Hi, John. This is Ray. I got so excited by your last episode. I thought, how in the world am I going to call in and say everything I want to say without my head exploding? So I will do my best to keep it brief. Hey, Ray, I'm glad you enjoyed the episode. Thank you very much for calling in. I'm looking forward to hearing what you've got to say on the subject. Uh, You were asking specifically about world building and in the context of possibly starting an old school essentials campaign. Uh, I'm running one now, as I think you probably know. And uh, we did a lot of world building both at the beginning of that campaign and during it. So I have some thoughts. Uh, First of all, I I think it's important in the first session to uh, allow yourself like a session zero, if you're going to do some world building and to not try to rush it too much. Uh, And to, first of all, just to, Decide what is already ter- determined by the rule set you're using. So even though there may not be a fictional world already set, there may be some things set about the fictional world from the rule set, such as the commonality of spells. And if you look at uh, if you look at OSE and you look at how spells work and how spell books work, there is a little bit of setting material in there. In that, uh, well, give an example. When you find another spellcaster's spell book, you actually can't read it. It's uh, every spellcaster's writing is their own form of magic, you know, arcane writing, which is kind of cool. And so if you want that to be part of the setting or kind of need that to be part of the setting because of the system, you should foreground that up front and say, okay, here's some things that we already know. Um, granted by the system. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right, Ray. I'm a big fan of the session zero, but we both are, aren't we, really? Yeah. And it's good to get things established. I think you also make a very interesting point about implied settings, even in a system like Old School Essentials, where there's not a hard bait in session to it. Because it's a, a BX clone, there's certain implied things like spells and such like, mm-hmm. and how you learn spells and various other bits and pieces that sort of imply things about the setting, even though they're just built into the rules. So I think that's a very cool suggestion and certainly something I'll bear in mind. Yeah, Session Zero is always a really good place to explore the mechanics for the game, especially if it's like a new game to the GM as well as to some of the players. Absolutely. Second, if you have some things in the system that you don't want in your setting, it's important to say that up front too. Like if you don't want halflings in your setting or if you want all halflings to be ratlings instead, uh, it, it's it's important to get that up front with your players. And then I go through a list of questions This is the kind of stuff that you would probably decide on your own if you were doing the setting on your own. But I'll go through a list of questions. A couple examples. City, dungeon, wilderness, or a combo of the three? What do you want? You know, are people interested in a city-focused campaign with a little bit of other? Do you want a dungeon crawl? Um, Do you want kind of everything all together? Do you want to do a a wild, um, you know, a a continent-spanning wilderness adventure? Um, How how ubiquitous is is magic? Easy for you to say. Um, Gunpowder. Will there be gunpowder in the session? Things like that. Um, I ask people for inspirational works, like what kind of what kind of books would you like to have the feel of drawn into or particular elements of drawn into this setting? 
And we sort of work on those things together, and you'd be surprised how quickly things build from there. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Again, Ray, you've hit the nail on the head. I mean, I mm-hmm. keep trying to hammer home this point that it's always worth having a frank, open discussion with your players about these things, whether it's a session zero or a more informal discussion. I definitely think it's worth doing because how you want to make sure that everyone gets a game they enjoy. I mean, the OSC game I'm thinking about doing is going to be a sort of black powder, sort of colonial vibe. But within that, there's still a lot of scope for folding in ideas for the players. So I think it's definitely worth doing that. Finally, I think it's really important with old school essentials because of the how lightweight the rules are to allow opportunities for world building within each session. For me, that's like a key point of each uh, every couple hour session that I run. I usually try to find something in there where we can world build. The last time we actually did two moments like that. One of them is with that we built this uh, bar called the Rusty Scupper that was on the waterfront and it was tilted so that half of it at high tide would be um, would have water over the floor. And they had a seat called the crow's nest with like rigging around it. There's a half work bartender, possibly half work. We don't know. Like he just but he looks a little orcish who has a liberal pour because he's almost blind and he puts his finger over the lip of the drink when he pours alcohol and waits till he feels it touch him. So those kind of things are like really cool. And then they got jumped by a gang. And they were just thugs and I let them make up the gang name and we talked about they're the rippers and they make this, you know, like finger crossing the throat uh, right before they attack and just dumb stuff like that. And that really uh, characters, uh, players love that, right? They love to get the chance to kind of weigh in on the, on the world uh, and you can do it and still be relatively immersive in most of the game. Uh, and yeah, th- I guess maybe that's all I have to say about that. I probably could have unpacked all of that into a longer messages, but I think I've already left you three. So uh, good luck, and uh, well, can't wait to hear about it. Thanks again, Ray. Some great suggestions there, and I'll be certainly yeah. trying to take all of that under advisement when and if I start up my OSE game. It's still in the very, very early planning stages at the moment because I'm waiting for one of my current campaigns to wrap up, which should be happening soon. But hopefully I'll be starting to work on that once that's finished. And I've got a few ideas rattling around the old noggin at the moment. <laughs> but I'm sure I'll talk about it more on the, mm-hmm. the podcast and in the blogs, etc. Once I've got more of a handle on that. I'm planning to go back through my OSE rules and sort of revise them a bit. And like you say, thanks to your advice, pick out a few of these sort of implied setting bits and pieces. And think about how I can work them in. As well as sound out a few of them with my players. So thank you very much for that advice, Ray. Great stuff. And our next call is off Rob Davis, a.k.a. The Swamper. So let's see what Rob's got to say. Hi, John and Hannah. Uh, I just listened to the podcast uh, on voicemails. I just want to make a quick point that uh, somebody else brought up, and I wholeheartedly agree with, that uh, it really really helps. It really is a a good thing that your podcast has the two voices and the the back and forth and... uh, like you guys were saying, uh, it it's a really good thing. Um, a one-person podcast is fine if you're doing sort of instructional, but when it's uh, opinion, uh, it's a great back and forth. So enjoying the podcast more and more. Uh, please keep going. Thanks. Bye. Thanks ever so much, Rob. Really glad you're enjoying the podcast. Yeah, if you've got any suggestions, dude, for stuff you'd like to see in the future or talking points, as always, feel free to leave us a message. And thank you very much for your kind words. Both myself and Hannah really Mm -hmm. do appreciate them. And last but by no means least in this episode, we're going to round off with a call from Jason Connolly of the Nerds RPG Variety Cast. Take it away, Jason. Hey, Hannah and John. Jason here. Just listening to your Scarecrow episode. Great job. 
I think it emphasizes really, I mean, you talked about a whole bunch of things that are all valid, but the thing I want to get on is monsters are a lot more effective when they're the monster, not one of a faceless group of monsters, right? So it's the scarecrow with a specific backstory, not just a scarecrow or the werewolf or the vampire. And it might not be the only vampire, but, you know, it's the vampire Lestat or whatever, right? Geez, that's a horrible example. But you know what I'm saying? That each monster should have a specific story. It's kind of like dragons, right? Dragons should be individual dragons with individual stories. So I, I think that's an important point. The other thing I want to mention is if you've ever watched James May, our man in Japan, a special Amazon did where James May went to Japan for six episodes and toured around, he visits a village that's full of scarecrows or, or stuff, big life-size stuffed dolls. I'll send you a link to it. But it's kind of creepy, and you could definitely do something like that, something with that idea in a game. So talk to you later. Thanks very much, Jason. Glad you enjoyed the episode on Scarecrows. It was a bit of a random pick from the monster book, but we had good fun talking about it. And a few people made jokes about Wurzel Gummidge and stuff like that. I'm pretty sure that Colin from Spike Pit dropped me a message on Anchor where he was saying, I can't believe you left out Wurzel Gummidge. And I've got to admit, it didn't occur to me until he mentioned it, but I had a good chuckle about that. But yeah, I think you're absolutely right. The more you use a monster, the more overexposed your players are to it, the more blasé they tend to be about it. Like, once you've seen your your 15th goblin or whatever, you're like, oh, it's another goblin. Whereas if you only come across, like, one or two goblins and they get up to sort sort of hijinks and there's a background about them and there's legendary about them, then they tend to have more of an impact. And like you say, it's the same with other types of monsters. The vampire has a lot more impact than the 10th vampire in a group. So I firmly agree with that. And thank you for sending me the link for the the strange sort of scarecrow village. I definitely think you could do a lot with that. I'd love to see mm-hmm. what players' responses will be if they pull up to a village and there's no one living there. There's just these scarecrows. You're like, have the people been turned into scarecrows? Is this some sort of strange shrine? Um, has some curse befallen people, you could certainly get a lot of mileage out of that idea. So thank you very much. So that's it for this voicemail episode. Thank you very much to all our callers, to Ray Otis of Plundergrounds, Rob Davis, and of course, Jason Connolly of Nerds RPG Variety Cast. We really do appreciate all these calls. And if you'd like to get in touch and maybe be featured in a future episode or just drop us some ideas for things you'd like to see from the podcast in the future, you can leave us a message on SpeakPipe. There's a link in the description of this episode. Or you can send us an email to rddrpgpodcast at gmail.com. Until we see you next time, stay safe, keep gaming, and keep rolling those dice. Bye.